0: 7.55 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty is on the air now. Welcome back. 7.55 is real and it is live. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for The Athletic. I'm with my co-host, former legendary Braves left-hander, Eric O'Flaherty. What's up, Dave? Eric, you were fireman of the year. How many years? Zero. You should have been that one year, man. The fuck. Point what? Point nine eight. Point seven ERA. Point nine eight. Boy, I was backwards. better than,
1: I, for me. I was better than next year in twelve because I gave up like ten runs in the first month. And when you give up that ten spot early, Smolty did that, did that one year. Yeah, yeah. remember what Smolty I'm that? more proud
0: of that. And mostly the difference is Smolty let us know every time he'd have a start. Every every save after that, he'd go. Yeah, still trying to whittle that ERA down. I haven't given up a run in two months. It's still three, four, five. <laughs> it's so up, frustrating. He gave up like five runs the first couple of outings, one of those outings. So his ERA was around five or six. And he would keep saying, well, oh, my ERA's cooked for the year. And then it was like almost perfect the rest of the year. And he ends up, you know, wherever it was, three or whatever. But I think I I think I had, like a,
1: I had like an eight or something at the end of April and it was like a .5 for the rest of the year, and yeah. I still had a, almost a two ERA after that. Because it's <laughs> as a reliever, you just can't rack up enough innings to get it down.
0: Smolty came in the press box yesterday and talked to Bo and I. He Did was he? doing a, he was doing a game yesterday. Yeah, he's funny, man. That dude.
1: Same. He as cracks like, me up how mad he is about the game today, but he's right sometimes or a lot of times. Oh yeah, he's sour. But just just the bitterness he has just makes my day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when somebody some you know stories. somebody
1: won't beat the shift or something like that, and this guy comes up hitting two twenty, the shift on him, and he grounds right into the shift. And you can just hear Smoltz just grinding his teeth.
0: Yeah, exactly. He was and he and he bitches even more off camera. You know? Yeah, I'm sure. But, but he was talking about played. He, he couldn't go do some like three different assignments in the past two years because of COVID because he tested because there's a few cities you have to do the test. You know, and he didn't. <laughs> so he played golf like he's been, he's been playing like 45 holes of golf a day. And they told him he had tested he, he positive for COVID. He's like, <laughs> he just kept playing 45 holes of golf instead. <laughs> but he was funny, man. He was telling the story. Played golf the other day with, uh, I don't know if I should tell the story or not, but it, it, it seems harmless. But he was playing golf with Chipper and, uh, and Smoltz's buddy. He's got a buddy. He's like a cricket player. He's like a five foot four cricket player from India. Yeah. I think. And that guy got was with Chipper, you know, in a cart. And uh, at the end of the day, the guy's like, "Chipper Jones, he doesn't talk." <laughs> <laughs> it's small. It's, it's like, yeah, give me that way. Yeah. I said, I said, man, he should ask him about bow hunting. He would have been talking forever, dude. Bow hunting or hitting, and you will talk all day. <laughs> He's not big into small talk.
1: No, <laughs>
0: with people no. you don't know.
1: Nope. Not wasting his time on that.
0: Uh anyway, let's cut the small talk here. Um, well, we went last week real real quick. Mike Soroka, you talked to me about this. I don't know if we were on or off camera, but you said because he had he struck out eight of the first nine guys in that high A start, his first rehab start after being away for so long. And uh gave up one hit. That was in the fourth inning, it was a soft hit. Um, I mean, no walks, he was about perfect. And we both said, but you said, you know let's see what what is next week against triple A hitters. Cause it's a different story against guys who've been around a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're not going to be up there hacking, but so he, he went from eight starts in four innings or eight strikeouts in four innings against the, uh, for high a Rome to his second start yesterday, Sunday for triple A Gwinnett, no start or no strikeouts in three and a third innings, no strikeouts, six hits, gave up, uh, one or two runs, you know, nothing terrible, but it was quite a different story than the, uh, first, rehab start so I'm kind of like you know okay now we can kind of see what we've got in the next couple make a really a much better judgment but I think we're all kind of guilty of getting carried away after that first one but six hits yesterday two runs one walk no strikeouts was the thing that kind of jumped off at me um and he had uh what's the strikes uh pitches to strike so uh 58 well still 58 pitches and 39 strikes so that was all right uh, what do you think? What do you make of that? Going from high A to triple A and going from eight strikeouts to none?
1: Honestly, every time i I had a rehab start in you know a ball or something like that, yeah, I felt like I couldn't even get anything out of it because it was like pitching against high school kids compared to the to the major league level. You know when you have major league stuff and you can make major league pitches, you're going to get him out. And if you watch the video, you know, I mean, he was striking guys out on fastballs right down the middle because yeah, Soroka has an elite sinker. It's an elite sinker that major league <laughs> trained, you know, the best hitters in the world will still swing and miss at. So you yeah. start throwing that in a ball, you know, you don't even really have to, to locate it. But uh, for me, when I saw him throwing them right down the middle, it's a really good sign that they're swinging six, yeah. 10 inches over it and it's right down the middle. But then you get to AAA and those guys have seen more of this stuff and they're going to be able to put the bat on it. And, you know, it's, it didn't say anything in there from what I read if these were hard hit balls or if they just found holes. But for me, the strikeout difference was probably just the guys being able to handle that movement, that major league movement. You got guys that have been to the major leagues and the best, you know, minor league players that aren't in the major leagues. Um, I don't think it's a big deal. And he probably tried to. It's, it's really easy to get hyped up on yourself, yeah. too. It's like, oh, shit, my sinker's the best it's ever been when you're throwing it to A-ball guys. Then you really find out what you're throwing up there in AAA, and I'm sure he'll adjust.
0: Yeah. Most importantly, he's healthy. I mean, it's two yeah. starts that he's gone pretty high pitch count for not at, for me in his first two rehab starts. Um, so I would imagine. Well, this next one will be with whoever's home. I didn't look at the schedule yet. Uh, I would think Triple A would still be home. They play those those ridiculous six games. Uh, that's so what serious. they do in the minor leagues now everywhere, you know. But it saves it's so much six. in travel. Six? six games. Yeah, they have a Monday off and then they play a six game series. So it's all week Jesus. in one city. Yeah, isn't some? I thought it's kind of nice led- though. Yeah, I mean, it's no travel. It saves so much money. But I thought it would have led to so many brawls. And it didn't, apparently. You know, I just thought that would be the real problem you had. If get sick early, of each other, yeah. If something happened early in a series, guys start throwing at each other, that kind of thing, that who knows what's going to happen. But, man, but you got to get sick of each other, huh? I mean, if you're a starter, oh, yeah. you're, if you're two starters are facing the same team twice, or one yep. starter is. Yep. And a bullpen, relievers, you're facing the same hitters for a week. Yep.
1: Yeah, I I think it'd be toughest for relievers because you kind of benefit from that time off from seeing your stuff and looking at other guys. Yeah. You could pitch three or four games in a row against the same team, which you pretty much only do in the big leagues. But I think it's cool. I didn't know they were doing that. But the travel aspect of that, you know, the hardest thing about going to AAA, you know, when you get sent down or or trying to get through it and it's flying. Because even in AA, you got bus rides. Right. But AAA, you have, like, 4.30 a.m. wake-up Commercial call. flights. So you're getting up at 4.30 yeah. in the morning. You're flying. You get to whatever city you're going to at, like, 2 p.m., you know, when it's all said and done. You got, like, an hour to go take a nap at your hotel, and then you got BP. So that yeah. that that week straight of not having to do that twice a week is huge. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, people talk about how brutal bus rides are must be in the minors. But commercial flying is worse it's, than that because, worse. I mean, you're – yeah, you're getting up so early now to give you know two hours for your flight. You got to get you know, wait and then you're in the airport, just like it. it's not like in the big leagues.
1: Now you're flying you're in uncomfortable going. clothes, too. Yeah, you're not yeah, in sweatpants yeah. on a bus.
0: Yeah, yeah. The Braves, man, they've gone from back in your day, back when uh, in Bobby's <laughs> day, from wearing what coat and tie on most of the trips yeah. to they wear. It's much more business casual or whatever. And to wear them, let wear them nice jeans or whatever. Uh, and now they started doing what like the Dodgers did it last year. Some other teams, I think. The Braves wear warm-up suits now on road trips. Yeah. They have two different warm-up suits. And they all wear the warm-up suit. Look like a college basketball team getting off the bus, you know? Well, nobody sees makes you. Makes so much you know, more sense. You yeah. They see
1: you at the stadium and they see you getting off a yep. bus. And then as soon as you get to the hotel room, everybody rips their suit off yep. as soon as they can and puts on clothes they want to wear. So
0: yeah, it's kind of silly it was kind yeah, of so. i could
1: understand if you were going through airports and stuff but right. even then it's like obviously right. these guys are athletes but you know, these aren't yeah, stockbrokers
0: that's a rule from back in the day when people took trains or then when they flew and went through the airport they want to look sharp but like you yep. said i mean these days you're going straight from the only time people can see you are the fans that line up outside your stadium when you're leaving yep. you know 50 people or whatever. But you're going straight to your bus, straight from your bus to your plane. You're not going through the airport. You're taking you right out to your flight out on the tarmac.
1: Yeah. So, I used to just wear one suit a year, and everybody would make fun of me. I'd be like, I hate these clothes. I'm not buying more of them. <laughs> as soon as it get to the hotel, just get it dry cleaned again and throw it back on for the next road trip.
0: Uh, Gary Sheffield, when he was with the Marlins, and I'm assuming he did it with when he was still here with the Braves too when I was covering him here, but I knew with the Marlins. He would carry – a louis vuitton steamer trunk on on the team flight you know everybody's got the team issued bag garment bag the other bag gary had the steamer trunk on the team flight he never wore the same suit twice man he wore a suit and they were all custom made they had long suits that were his his coattails were down close to his knees he had long suits and he would give them away afterwards to his boys or just give them away to players on the team, whatever, you know, I don't know what he did with them all, but he didn't want to see what he his steamer a <laughs> steamer truck. On his yeah.
1: Gonzo, Mike Gonzalez did that too. You know, when you get called up, there's always a vet that buys you suits. Gonzo sent yeah. me to some K and P fashion super house or something in Gwinnett and was like, go get 15 suits. Sorry. I don't want to carry 15 suits around, man. He did the same thing though. He, He'd wear it and then toss it, but they weren't expensive suits. I think they were like 80 to 120 bucks. Gary's were expensive. I'm sure they were.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. So tell me how your experiences, if you've ever had one of your guys, I'm sure you have one of your guys get booed at home for, for whatever reason. Um, Because yesterday I saw something that you almost never see in Atlanta. It's kind of like St. Louis. They do not boo their own. I mean, you got to do something really bad. And they booed Marcelo Zuna yesterday. We were all surprised. We get there and Marcel's in the lineup for the Sunday afternoon series finale against the Astros. Snit didn't talk for games on day games, 1 o'clock games. So we had kind of had to wait until afterwards to get the reasoning. Other than we were told before the game, Eddie Rosario had a strained hamstring and they, he was available off the bench. So that eliminated one of the options that they could use to start. The only other option was Guillermo Heredia. Snit explains afterwards that right-handers had done a little better against Irigade the starter yesterday. So, hence Marcelo Zuna in the lineup yesterday. Two days, about uh, about sixty hours or so after he was arrested for DUI in the wee hours Friday morning, he's in the lineup yesterday. And um, when he was introduced before the game, they they call your name know, twice. They do the whole. They, they announce the lineup over the loudspeakers, and then. When you're coming up in your inning, they announce him again. So each time his name was announced, he was booed. But the crowd was still arriving before the game when they announced that. When he came to bat, though, because he hit at the bottom of the order, when he came to bat the first time, it was pretty loud. Pretty loud. And then he struck out, and it was louder as he's walking off. He only batted twice. He was hitting nine, so he only batted twice, and then they pinch hit with Rosario later. Um, But he struck out both times. He looked really, really looked lost. I mean, he hadn't played in a week but uh yeah, struck out both times stuff. struck out both times and flailed and got really booed and i just you don't see that in atlanta man what's that like how awkward or uncomfortable is that for a teammate when you're sitting in the dugout or whatever and one of your teammates gets booed like that well
1: you feel for them you know i mean i yeah. think everybody's been booed at some point in their career um Maybe I didn't see it too much in Atlanta, though, but I, I played for the Mets and I got booed off the field every time I pitched. I yeah. was just bad, you know, and it definitely yeah. doesn't help, but you're already aware of how bad things are going. Um, I think it puts a little more pressure on you because you are thinking about shit if I strike out here again. Right, right. So, you know, it takes you out of your game, I think. But, you know, as far as playing him, I, I don't know what choice Snicker has. I mean, he you can't play with a man short.
0: As long as they're giving him one of, the, he's one of the guys on twenty six man roster. You got a guy with a strained hamstring, you know, you're uh, you're down to one other option for the outfield. Uh, your utility guy doesn't play outfield. Yeah, I mean he doesn't. As Snip can't just go with a twenty five man roster if they're giving him if they're saying he's on the team for now. He is for legal reasons, you know, from what I can understand. It's just the only reason he's there is. We talked about this a little bit, though. The Braves have been very careful as an organization to do all the things right that MLB wants you to do and and all the things right their lawyers want them to do, you know, since the whole copy thing. But um, in this case, I'm just speaking. This is just my opinion. I haven't been told this by anybody in the organization, but I I, I think that the Braves lawyers are looking at a way they can get some money back from this, not have to owe him the full $41 million. Cause it's been multiple legal things now. Cause yeah. a DUI on its own, you got no chance of getting any money Well, you it. remember no. when
1: Derek Lowe got a DUI, right? Right, right. I don't. I don't remember anything. It was like you know, D. Lowe got in funny. trouble, and then two days later, he's starting.
0: Right, DUI is not going to and mean, That's in the collective bargaining agreement. Those kind of things, you do nothing. You can't do. There's nothing. There's no clause. No nothing. I mean, last year for for domestic violence, they couldn't dump him and eat the yeah. contract or or get the money back from the contract. They had – So, I mean, that's just the way it is. But I'm just wondering, thinking that with two things in such short, a short span, and we know he was on six months probation in the legal system. Was he on some kind of other probation? I don't know. I'm just saying that if the Braves think there's any way they can get some of that money back, they're probably looking at it as if we release him and then he's acquitted, if we release him before he's even goes through the justice system, then it looks like we took our own Uh, We jumped the gun, didn't wait for this thing to play out, didn't release him for performance reasons, released him only for, you know, I'm just, that's the only thing I can figure is they're waiting because they have some hope of getting some of that money back. And once this thing plays out, if he's convicted or if he pleads guilty or whatever, then they can try to get, that's, that's all I can figure on why they still have him on the team. And I think, and I think MLB too, part of their, you know, part of the agreement, the collective bargain agreement is you'd always let this stuff, the legal system play out before you do anything. So. Yeah. It just takes so
1: long for the stuff to play out. You know, I mean, if it was like five days to play out, but you might not get this resolved till January.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, or later. Yeah. With a DUI, you can, you can, you can get a continuance. You can get all kinds of things, you know, you know, if a cop doesn't show up, you know, whatever. But I mean, in his case, that won't happen. But yeah, your your attorney can always ask for a continuous. and so. But anyway. Yeah, you could also
1: hope that he gets hot and hits, and in the off season, you could get
0: somebody to pick
1: up right. a portion of it. Right. You know? I mean,
0: even if it's just a little bit of it, yeah. Even if it's ten million of the forty-one million that he's owed, yeah. You, you can do a lot more things in the off season than you can do right now while you're desperate and everybody knows. I know? just, I would,
1: I would think there'd be a way. I don't know, because it uh, if he was hitting three three ten with thirty five homers. Yeah. Everybody would be more forgiving. You know, in yeah, baseball um, when you're I struggling mean, that's, and fucking up off the field, it's
0: That's truth. If he thought if if he was helping them win, people everybody would everybody be with more it, forgiving. But he's He'd not doing like, anything yeah. to help them win. So it's it like from
1: it, the Braves He's, he's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, look, and, at, and, look how funny he is.
0: And people were already – we were already talking about what can the Braves do before this legal thing yeah. just because he was so bad. Yeah. So,
1: And that's yeah. kind of the thing is then something like this happens and it forces your hand or it just kind of like tips the scale to the point where you're like, all right, we were already in this spot with
0: him. right? right. I don't know. I mean – But like I said, if he were to do something down the stretch – Get hot. I mean, we've seen him carry an offense for a while. Yeah. I mean, who's to say he can't still do it? He has no show, no signs of it. But if he did, then you got to think they'd be able to get some team to bite on, you know, ten million of the forty-one that he's still owed over the next three years. Yeah, um, you know, and you go to a new organization, and it's or like
1: two years after this, fresh reset. You know, the the Astros took that guy Ozuna that beat up his girlfriend, or what, what's the guy, the reliever's right. name?
0: Right, I know what you're talking about. It's not yeah.
1: Ozuna. Uh, yep. but they took a reliever that did that. Right. It's like you go to a new organization and it's just a fresh start. Right. But when so, you do it with the organization while you're struggling, it's kind of like
0: And when I, you're with same organization you did that domestic violence with. I don't two.
1: see yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think he's getting forgiven very easily.
0: No. No. Um I just had his He has gone by the way last eleven games. Five for 42, he's at 119, no walks, 15 strikeouts, 331 OPS, one home run. That's the last 11 games. For the year, it's really weird, man. He's hitting exactly the same as he did last year, batting average-wise, 213. Last year, 213 in 48 games, for injury and suspension. This year, 213 in 108 games, 450 plate appearances this year. Uh, 6.45 OPS last year, 6.53 this year. So that's two back-to-back years that's just been brutal. To put that in perspective, in 220, 2020, when he led the league in home runs and RBIs, he had a 6.36 slugging percentage. His OPS the last two years has been 6.45 and 630, or 6.53. OPS. Yeah. So he led the league in, in uh, total bases as well as home runs and RBIs in t- 2020. I mean.
1: Yeah, and, you know, if you can get him to that. But I don't know. It's, it's a it's a gross situation to try to be managing if you're a team. Yeah. I, I kind of expected him just to be like, that's it, you know, and eat it. But it's not my money.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's why I think it's the legal stuff. But Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. Hell of a hell of a homestand for the Braves. I know it. Yeah. Uh, once again, didn't end on a high note, and people kind of, you know, with the recency bias, people just think of the how bad it felt losing yesterday. But take a step back. That was a hell of a homestand. I mean, you're yeah. coming off that great road trip. Well, the great last two thirds of the road trip. That trip started off with that disastrous series at New York, where you lose four out of five, and you're like, "Oh yep. shit!" You know. Then you go sweep the Red Sox in two, sweep the Marlins in four. It ends up being a really good road trip, on, just on record wise. But but that prepares you for this homestand. That you're like, "Okay, now we're going to find out." You got seven games against the Mets and the Astros, right? Yep. Two of the best five, four or five teams in the majors. Arguably, two of the best three teams in the majors. I put the Dodgers. Braves, Astros, Mets, in whatever order you want to put them in, is the best four teams, right? So they're facing the Mets and the Astros at home. They got Degrom and Scherzer in the in the Mets series, and the Braves win five out of seven games. Man, that's a great homestand. Yeah, take two out of three from the Astros. You you know you were going for a sweep of the Astros yesterday. Yeah, and you know your bullpen had had another hiccup yesterday. You get down by three. You know, Dylan Lee showing some wear and tear to me, uh, and Jackson Stevens as well, but especially Dylan Lee. He's never pitched this long, man, in a major league season at all. Yep. But uh, So you get down by three, and once again though, they didn't give up, and they got within a run at the end. I mean, they yep. t- still made another run at the end, and they lose by a run.
1: Yeah, yesterday was one of the only times I was kind of wondering, I guess Matzik and, and Iglesias, they pitched a lot lately, but
0: and down, came in.
1: Well, Matzik did. I meant Mentor. Um, right. Down one right there. Would have been nice to keep it close, but.
0: Well, Dylan Lee was so good for so long. Exactly. But, and uh, and Snit, I was kind of surprised to hear this from Snit, but even Snit said afterwards, I have to read you this quote because it was surprising to me. On Dylan Lee's recent struggles, he asked him about it. And he said, you got to remember, too, that like Strider – this is Dylan Lee's first year as a major league reliever to go the extended thing. So I'm sure there's wear and tear a little bit. He's probably not feeling that the greatest. I don't know. I'm just saying this is a first-year major league reliever. He burst on the scene last year at the end, and now he's being asked to put down some high-pressure innings, and he has. Yeah. He's done a great job. It's location. He had a four-pitch walk. But the yeah. breaking ball is real, and his stuff is real. I think he's just learning as he goes also. He's no different than Spencer Strider and Kyle Wright and all them guys. They're all first-year guys going to Tita Green for the first time. Yep. But the quote made me think. Okay, if he's showing wear and tear and doesn't feel the greatest, then he probably needs to take a little break. Then, if that's you, uh, not being used yeah. in that situation. You know, it didn't.
1: Well, I think yesterday cemented the you know the thought in his mind. Right, right. You so know, next time maybe does
0: doesn't. Do you that. can be
1: feeling great and fresh and still have a couple bad outings in a row, but the longer it goes, the more you're like, all right, this guy's tired because he hasn't been missing these spots and throwing these pitches all year. And you know, mid mid August, minor league season's about over. Mid August is normally when guys that haven't done the major league thing where you're you're warming up more often all year. You're yeah. doing stuff like back to backs yeah. all year, multiple inning appearances. You know, and in the minor leagues, it's like you pitch today, you're guaranteed to be off tomorrow. You pitch this day, you got two days off. You know, you never go three out of five and right. do these things that are just normal in the major leagues. So you get away with it for the first three, four months and then you start getting tired and you don't necessarily feel like my arms, my arm feels like shit, or it's your location and may, and the crispness on your pitches that kind of just starts to slowly struggle and you're giving up hits and, and missing spots and you can't really figure out why. Um, but I remember that my first major league season, I think I had like a 2 2 ERA going into August mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I gave up a five spot. I'm like, all right, I'm going to wash it. Two, three outings later, three spot, another three spot. And all of a sudden I had, a, I finished the year with a four and a half ERA. And I just, I didn't know what happened because I still uh-huh. felt that I still felt good. I still felt like, you know, why it's kind of like you start asking yourself, why are they not swinging at that pitch? Or, you know, I got away with that pitch yesterday and it's just, you kind of lose a little bit of your, of, of life on your pitches, uh-huh. but you don't feel shitty enough to pitch carefully. You know, you want to keep that same aggression you've had all year. That's worked all year and you kind of keep going back to it and then keep getting burned. And it's just an adjustment you have to make where. You know, toward the middle and end of my career, I knew on when I started getting hit, I had to be that much more careful and that much more focused. And, and I almost had to back off and really try to make the pitch and know where I couldn't miss because my stuff wasn't quite there.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, It can't be emphasized enough how much different it is pitching in my a major league bullpen for a full season. Than it is yeah. a minor league bullpen for a season that's a lot shorter. Yeah, it's just it's, it's not the even, toughest job, in ba- it's the toughest job in baseball, yeah. man.
1: And it's and- you learn how to manage it. You know, you don't know these things of yeah. when your arm does feel a little slow or tired one day. You don't know you shouldn't go out and long toss. You don't know that it's okay to just play light catch and that you just pitch yesterday. Your arm's going to be fine. So you keep trying to feel good every day, and you just dig yourself into a deeper hole. But and, you and learn I- to manage that stuff over time.
0: And that's why we see every year, man, without fail, we see one or two guys that have, that have come out of nowhere and have like this great month or great two yep. months. And then all of a sudden they peter out and you're like going, what happened? That's yep. what you're talking about, man. But they're coming up and nobody's seen them. Yep. They're fresh. Nobody has any kind of scouting report on them. They're out there going full in. They're not pacing themselves or anything like that. But then they almost all the time, none of those guys go a full year doing that. Nope. and it also makes you appreciate the guys like a Colin McHugh who doesn't yep. throw 98 but he's in there going two innings in high leverage situations sometimes i mean time and time again this kind of the grunt work that's not yep. glorified but those guys are invaluable man and that's why they're paid a lot more money now than they used to be too cuz they it's just so few guys like that that you can count on for the full year that yep. know what they're doing
1: it's you know i mean it's just why you don't see dominant relievers have 10, 15 year careers. Right. You know, right. I mean, you see most of the time you'll see it. And look at Kimbrell right now. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, he's having to freaking battle because the wear and tear of being in the pen, you know, there's, there's never a time in your life where you throw off the mound four days in a row. Now, nobody tells you to do that. Everybody's like, why would you throw yeah. off season? You're not going to throw four bullpens in a row. You throw, you take two days off. So you're always throwing fresh and you're always practicing fresh Coming up through the minor leagues, they're always protecting you. Very few minor leaguers go back to back. You know, you yep. start getting to the higher levels and they think you're going to be a legit right. setup man or late inning guy. They'll start pushing you into that. But even in the minors, you're not going back to back, day off, and then throw multiple. You know, so it's it's just something that not a lot of young relievers are prepared for. And you can't learn how to manage it or learn your body in the minor leagues. You have to learn it in the major leagues when, you know, winning is a priority, not development. And you're going to be put in a position where you're going to have to pitch really tired on days that they protect you from in the minor leagues. And I don't know if you know, I don't know if it'd be smart to put guys through that in the minor leagues because it is so hard on your arm. Right. Right. You know, it's like you got this big prospect reliever and you're throwing them five days a week. It's like you're just burning bullets.
0: The old theory, yeah, you only got so many bullets. Why would you do burn them like that? Yep. Um, On a on a on a bright note. Kirby Yates had a really good outing, man. I mean, because he's, you know, struggled a little bit a couple times so far out coming out. Understandable. Had pitched in about two years, um, close to it. He had a really good outing uh, two days ago against against the Astros. uh, Perfect inning, struck out one, clean inning, and... Showed some signs of, you know, maybe being a factor down the stretch, maybe being a guy that could rely on and work up into higher leverage uh, situations. So that, and that was a big inning, too. That was with a game in a tight game. So that was – Snit showed some confidence in using there. there. Um, the guy that I was uh, – and we talked about this, too, off, off camera here. If the Braves were able to get somebody to solidify that number four spot, whether it be Ian Anderson or Soroka. I know that I'm not going to get ahead of myself. Soroka, he's got to prove it first. But if someone were able to down the stretch going into the postseason, if they had a fourth starter, because you're not going to need five starters in the postseason. You will need four because they eliminated that travel day on the second series, you know, in in, in the World Series and the LCS. You are going to need four, but you're not going to need five. And the Braves have three, obviously. The first yep. three are set with Freed, Kyle Wright, Charlie. Charlie's order. looking
1: good. Charlie's yep. looking
0: really good, man. 11 strikeouts yep. the other day. Yep. I mean, it's, the the curveball just looks like a wiffle ball again, man. Yep. Um. You got three. Strider has been one of the best pitchers, obviously, all season in whatever yep. role. And people look at this wrong when I even suggest it. Because I'm not suggesting he's done anything. To warrant not being in the rotation because he certainly has. He's one of your best three pitchers, really. I yeah. mean, your, your best three starters, if we're being honest, on a nightly basis. Um, certainly one of your best four. But if one of those other guys were to step up and show you that he could be a good fourth starter in the in, in the in the, play, in the postseason, imagine what they could do with Strider used deployed as oh, this yeah. animal, this multi inning reliever like Hater did for a while and you brought up the guy who started the whole trend Andrew Miller Andrew Miller me- remember yeah. when he was just devastating in that role Yeah And I'm not talking long term I'm talking about this year only Yeah But Strider who's already at Career High innings now is over 100 He's got the highest strikeout rate of any Braves pitcher in history Yep For that for for any starter in history and he's going to set the record for any rookie in history. He's going to pass Kerry Wood. He's got 13-6 for nine innings, man. It's ridiculous. Yeah. The guy's throwing 99 to 100, sitting 99 as a starter, right? If you deployed him for an inning or two innings or even three innings, if you had to in one game, now that and, and I'm saying it's necessary maybe because you're starting to see some cracks from some guys in that bullpen we just talked about. Yeah. Even though you brought a really good closer over from the Angels – you know, you got you got three guys, Iglesias, Jansen, Mentor, that you can really count on night in, night out. And Mentor went through his little blip there, but he's back throwing strong. Matsick's still trying to get it from get back where he was. He's not there. Colin McHugh is a great pitcher for the role we talked about. But imagine if you had, if you were able to deploy uh Strider for, like, two innings at a time. The guy would be throwing 101, 102 out there probably, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: I'm just saying, if one of those other guys would come up and solidify number four, it would eliminate a lot of bullpen concerns if there are any going to the road because bullpen is going to – and we've seen it, how important it is in a postseason. It's everything. They don't, they don't win last year without that bullpen. They do yeah. not win the LCS and a World Series without that bullpen. And yeah. if you had Spencer Strider eliminating two innings at a – two chunk innings at a chunk – I mean, that's a big deal, man. I'm just saying that's something to consider. I agree. If one of those other guys steps up and solidifies number four, obviously you can't probably do it unless somebody does, uh, unless you're going yeah. to plan to go bullpen game, you know, and, and, and which they did last year, but out of necessity, they didn't want to. It worked out okay, but they didn't do great in those bullpen games, you know, and it's not really something you want to do with a bullpen. It's not as deep as it was last year either. Right. Yeah. And, and less days off. Right.
1: Um, but, right. you know, Soroka would be huge. Because I know he can handle the
0: moment. Ian would be huge, and he's Ian done it would before. would be huge
1: if if they can get. There's a lot of time left to to let it play yeah. out. You know, and if, the A season goes through September
0: this year. A lot deeper.
1: Yeah. If um, uh, you know, Matzik, he's not there. He's not where he was last year. Um, but that's kind of how huge was he? He was throwing one or just sometimes multiple. But
0: they don't win it without him last year. They don't win it.
1: No. I mean this. The situations he was getting out of,
0: right? Um, Him, mentor.
1: But you see, and you Will know, Smith.
0: They don't win it without those guys last year.
1: Yeah, and you you can't win in the postseason with a shitty bullpen. Nope. I don't care. No,
0: nope. because starters are only going four, five, six innings tops unless you're, you know, one it, or two I, guys.
1: I mean, if you got Scherzen and Degrom, maybe you know they, they go eight and you hand the ball yeah. to Diaz. But right. Yeah, right. I mean, if just watching what Andrew Miller did for the Indians. And Yankees – I mean, he just – he changes the game.
0: And Scherzer sure, – I mean, uh, Strider could do that.
1: Yeah, and you don't – have it doesn't have to be the ninth. It doesn't have to be the eighth. If you right. can bring him in – you know, it's crazy because there's always these situations. That's why you have to have a deep pen. But there's these situations that come up in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning that are going to decide the game. Yeah. If you don't get out of them, you're losing. You know, it turns into a three yeah. spot. You lose by one. Um, but if you can bring in Strider – against the heart of an order with runners yeah. on first and second and the sixth yeah. and feel like we got a shot to get out of this versus a guy that good stuff, you know, good pitcher, but now you're facing Alonzo or, you know, some, some other slugger that's going to give you a really tough at bat, you know, to be able to bring him in, in the sixth inning and eat from the sixth to the seventh and then hand it to two single inning guys. Yeah. Hand you're basically,
0: to mentor Jansen
1: you're basically shortening the game by an extra two innings. And if you have a solid closer and setup man, you're shortening it by four. So now the team feels the pressure. They have to score off your starter. Right. Cause they know that pens down there and they don't want to face those guys. They, a lot of teams now are like, we want to keep the starter in the game. They get criticized right. for swinging. Third really time the count. Through, yeah. They're like, we don't want to, but we want to keep this starter in the game. We want his pitch count low. Cause we don't want to face strider in the sixth and seventh. And so th- then that, that in turn makes them more aggressive and, tr- and try to hit your starter and it makes your starters better.
0: Yeah, if you look at Charlie, even at his peak with peak years, postseason years with the Astros and the, and the Rays, he's going like five innings in a postseason. You know, yeah. it's a different animal in postseason, man. Yeah, and 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 like Ian Anderson, he's got this incredible postseason record. That's going about five innings every time, a couple times four something. So. If if you go have your starter go five innings, and if you could have Strider come in and the heart of the order is coming up in six, and you got a one-oh lead, and he just blows away everybody for two innings, then all of a sudden, hey, you know, you might, your offense might score another run or two in that in the interim, and then you're handing the ball over to that. So I just think it's something they got to consider. I know Strider, if it's had his druthers, would want to start because he's a starter. He loves starting, but he is so good in both roles. And if this particular team, the personnel warranted moving him there, and also it'd be the way to monitor the innings. But I don't think that's the bigger concern. As it is, just you could use him. And I'm not yep. talking. I'm not even talking about doing it because of the innings. I'm talking about because that might be the best way he's utilized on this team. If they have another guy step up for that fourth start,
1: yeah. Somebody. Ha- I think that's the key though. Is somebody right. somebody right. has to be pitching pretty damn well to to right. be willing to take him out of the role he's in because right. I mean he can. It's the same thing, though. You know, if he goes five shutty, who's going to get you to the eighth?
0: Right. You and, know, and, can... and the other thing is Soroka and Ian Anderson are not relievers, and they're not going to use no. those guys as relievers or expect them to do well if they did. I'd never Ian consider walks Soroka. Too many, yeah. <laughs> Ian walks too many guys, and Soroka's with his health history. There's no way you're going to have him come in.
1: There's uh, no chance uh, I'm having him warm up. Right. In a random setting. Right. You know, he, he's everything for me if I have that guy and – the value he could possibly have. Yeah. It has to be very structured coming off of two three surgeries. Yeah. More so than ever. He's got to have ever. his
0: whole between starts routine. and
1: You'd be crazy to try to do that with him.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's really your one guy that you could do that with is, is Strider. Yeah. And that's because he's so damn good. I mean, he's just filthy. Yeah. So, anyway, it'll be interesting. Um, just last thing. I don't know if you saw, I wrote a story today about how well, and we've talked about this, how – you know, the Braves made that decision years ago when Acuna was coming up. The veterans got together, Marquecas, Freddie, those guys, and they're like, let's make these guys feel comfortable from day one. We don't want them coming up here and worrying about shit, stupid shit in the clubhouse. Can I stand in food line first? Can I sit on this couch? Which just couch come up here is, um... and, Yeah, just come up here and play, all right? Yeah. Just play the game right. Do, be a team guy, and it doesn't matter. Be yourself. We don't care what you do. Bat, flip, whatever. You just play hard and play right. Well, these guys right now – the Braves other teams are doing that too now. I mean this like that's the way with the with with MLB skewing so young. Yeah. You'd be stupid not to. You'd be stupid to still be hazing guys cuz every team's got guys on their team now in their low yeah. 20s. Well, the Braves are doing it better than anybody though. If you if you judge based on performance and just how happy these guys be, seem to be and how much fun yeah. they're having on the field. But right now they got 1-2 in rookie of the year with uh with uh, Michael Harris and Strider. They're going to be 1-2 in rookie of the year unless something changes. And they got a guy that if Grissom had more time in the big leagues, he might be third in rookie of the year. (laughs) I mean, he's playing so well. He just doesn't have enough time. He's not going to be a factor in it, I don't think. But the guy's been phenomenal since he got up. So they got three guys right now. They had two of the three youngest guys in the big leagues, 21-year-old Harris, 21-year-old Grissom. And they got Strider, who's just dominant when he's out there. Those are all rookies in their first season in the big leagues. And they're having so much fun. And all the veterans say, Grissom, since the day he got here, has kept the clubhouse in stitches and he just energizes everybody. And that's just a clubhouse mentality of having a bunch of veterans like your Darno's and your Olsons, and your Dansby Swanson has talked about this from the day when they brought Josh Donaldson in. Not that he's a young guy, but that he was a really... A guy that had rubbed some people the wrong way in other places, a flamboyant guy, Dansby. From the day they signed him, no man, we welcome that. We need to have different guys in here. Not everybody the same. Not everybody cookie cutter. Not one guy leading the whole thing. Be yourself. And they're getting they're they're paying dividends this year and seeing that from these three guys more than ever because they're all just crucial in what the Braves are doing right now.
1: I think a good example is Yunel Escobar. You know, he did so much shit that rubbed people the wrong way. But he's also a hell of a talent and hell of a player. And it's almost like he... Could have benefited he, from this. Oh, yeah. For me, it's like, you know, those guys like that, especially Esky because he's playing shortstop, I kissed his ass every day. And he'd make plays for me. You know, it's, it's kind of like you want guys to like you and, and want to be where they are and play hard. And it, it's almost like he, that's what puffs their chest out. You know, a guy like Escobar doing his big jump in the on-deck circle. ESPN game, he's always making plays because the bright lights are on him. But he'd get in trouble for something that he didn't understand or he's whistling too much during the game. Yeah, you know? and I yeah think he did that, that all the time, yeah. And it's annoying. <laughs> it's like, yeah. God dang, man. It's a yeah. second inning day game. It's Everybody's still trying to wake up. This guy's whistling like crazy. You know, just stuff like that. You just let it go. You're just like, I want you to be you and do whatever gives you the most confidence. And, you know, I, I get tired of the term swagger, but there's something to it, like playing in a, in a flow type of state versus yeah. like a self-critical state. You, you go into this little ball versus just puffing your chest out and being loose with your movements. And yeah. the more tense you are, the shittier you play. And the more stuff guys have to worry about not messing up. You know, I say it all the time with coaching, too. You watch a high school coach just yelling at his kids they're all playing with the tight ass and they're messing up more and more and more. You pump people up and take that edge off form and they just perform so much better. And that's kind of, you know, the distraction that it becomes when you're yeah. getting yelled at for being on the wrong couch. Or I had this time in Anaheim. I had to wear that stupid pink backpack. Yeah. I got, I, I had to take it everywhere with me. If I went to the mall and I didn't have my bitch ass pink backpack on and one of the vets saw me, I was destroyed. You know, I was going to have, I was just going to wear it more that day. So I, I'd gotten in a taxi and sat in LA traffic for about 30 minutes. And we're staying 40 minutes from the stadium in Anaheim. I realized I didn't have my backpack. I hopped out on the freeway, walked to a hotel that I could see, got a, ta- a taxi back to the other hotel, Jesus, man. grabbed my bitch ass pig backpack, jumped in another taxi, got to the field and then got bitched out for being late. But I had to make a decision for what kind of misery I wanted that day, right? And it's it's like that what turned is into the point, you know, yeah, hour and a half debacle, a high stress for me trying to make these decisions that don't matter. And I've got a to pitch tonight for these guys. I might be coming in for one of the guys that was yelling at me, you know, that was giving me shit. I might be coming in trying to leave his runners on base, and now I'm thinking, oh man, he's going to destroy me if if I give up his runs too on the same day I was late. You know, and so it's, that's the shit that's in your head instead yeah. of what's Casey Kochman hit, how do I get him out? You know, and I, I remember these things just because yeah. it was, you're just walking around the clubhouse on eggshells, trying to mess up or if you're Grissom, who's making everybody laugh, yeah. he's probably doing all kinds of shit wrong and they're just embracing yeah. it and laughing at him. And there's a way to rib guys and, and get them in line with how you do things that doesn't make them feel like an outcast or uncomfortable. And the whole point is just the more comfortable you are, the more you feel like you belong, the more you're going to play like you belong. And I think they've done a great job um, embracing that and SNIT especially. You know, I think I couldn't imagine have been wearing a sweatsuit on the plane however
0: many years ago. But you just start realizing, like, does this shit really matter? Yeah. And And then you just get down to what does matter. And it's a credit to SNIT more than anybody because – this is a guy that spent decades yes. and decades in the minor leagues and player development. His job was to make sure guys did everything yeah. the right way. And you didn't that didn't fuck up and that dressed right and wore their uniform right and all that. But he has changed so much as a manager because the game's changed and his roles changed. These are men, not little kids, and you gotta yep. make them feel like men. So credit to him for being so adaptable in his 60s. Yeah. Like a lot of guys would say, I'm too old to change like that. The next guy can change. I'm not doing it. But he hasn't done that. So And, yeah. and, it's, and he's reaped the rewards of it by a team that wants to run through a wall for him. Uh, I asked Dansby about that, about the whole thing with it. He goes, Dansby said, you know, the hazing part, I've never understood. Like when I, even when I was 14, I never understood that. I thought that was so silly and stupid. So thankfully, that's never been a thing here. But I mean, in terms of just... It's really just that kind of finding that delicate balance of helping young kids grow to be like, what does it mean to actually be a pro? Because we all go through that learning experience when we're young and it's just fun and you have to have a lot of success and it's fun. It's fun. And then all of a sudden, like there comes a day because that's how this game works to where no longer does just fun matter, where there's other things that happen or expectations or failure or whatever there's that's dealt with. So it's all about like being prepared to handle everything as professionally as possible. Yeah. Um, but he was talking about Harris and he said, yeah, uh, Grissom. He said, yeah, he cracks me up and it keeps me young. keeps me He keeps me young and also makes me grow some gray hairs. But yeah, I told him pretty <laughs> early on just that I was here for every bit, whatever you needed, whatever you wanted to talk, learn about, talk about baseball life, whatever. Um, I thought Spencer Strider, man, People, people read this quote that I put with my – connected with my story. I put the quote on Twitter. And I, some people read it, and I think they probably thought I cleaned it up or whatever. Word for word. Wow. And that's how, that's how mature Spencer Strider is because this guy – I mean, this quote right here. Here he is talking about what I'm saying about how this organization, you know, kind of lets guys be themselves. He said, it sounds like the big leagues used to be like when you're young, you keep your mouth shut, keep your head down. There's definitely something to that in a certain amount, but I think that you need guys to feel like they can be who they are. People say stupid stuff like I have. They make mistakes. But part of that is I think failure is the best teacher, whether it's on the field or off the field. So guys can't fail in ways that they'll learn from unless they're able to just be open and be who they are. I think this organization, from my experience, is pretty good about letting guys let their personalities come through and just embracing everyone for who they are especially on the pitching side. We have a pretty diverse personality, a group of guys going on. If everybody was trying to conform to something that they thought they needed to be, then that wouldn't work in a lot of ways. And I just thought this dude's like 23, 24 years old, man.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's something that it, it's understood by all these guys, but you can't say shit when you're getting called up. And it's, it's just the game's changed in a sense, especially because it's gone so young. You yeah. know, like when I got called up, everybody was in their 30s. It was like two guys, yeah. three guys yeah. in the whole team in their early – in any any younger than 28. And
0: now it's upside down. It's the opposite it's of that. It's upside
1: down. And, yeah, you know, it was a culture shock for me to go to Oakland because Oakland's been this way for a long time. But you'd have young guys, you know, putting their own music on. And that's just not the way I was trained. But then you watch Oakland, and they have a guy like Josh Reddick, who's got super flamboyant personality. I mean, yeah. he's just—I mean, he's wearing like wrestling outfit during BP. You're just like, what is this clown doing? Yeah. But then you watch him struggle in Boston in that atmosphere, go to Oakland, and and have a nice career for himself. Turn turn into a player. Um, but you watch this stuff happen, and you kind of just start keying in on it and thinking. Why is this guy doing well in this atmosphere? Why does this organization have all these young guys that can produce and another one can't? And for me, the, the just the comfort that you see young guys have now is why you see so many more young guys come up and perform. Yeah. Uh, your shortstop. From day one. You know, like a, a 32-year-old shortstop that's about to be a free agent in the mid-90s, early 2000s, and a guy as big of a stud as Grissom comes up, yeah. they're threatened by him. And they're going to ride them and make them uncomfortable because they don't want to see them succeed. And I think teams have just done a great job of getting over that and just saying, we need this dude to win. We need him at his best. So let's make him comfortable, pump him up. And there's also, you know, there's the stuff, it's, there's antics and stuff that kind of irks guys, but you can look past it. And then there's shit like hurting the team. Right. You know, and that's, that's where you draw the line.
0: And that's what Dan Smith was saying. He said, it's not just let everything go. You know, you got to be a team guy. And these guys are all, the three I'm talking about, are all, they got personalities where they don't rub people the wrong way. They engage in the clubhouse. Harris is a quiet guy, but you talk to him, he's funny, man. And he loves, his teammates all like him because, I mean, he's not over there being an ass. He's over there, you know. He's over there reading. He's over there. And, but then like Grissom joins the team, and it brings out that side of, of Harris, too. He's comfortable with him. Yep. But everybody that's met him got to know him say he's just a great kid. He's a great yep. kid. Smart, funny. He's just quiet. But Grissom is the total opposite of that. And the two of them together are side-by-side lockers, too, and Strider's lockers next to them, and yep. Contreras's lockers next to them. And Strider said it's called rookie row, even though Contreras' not a rookie. But – they are bringing it all out of each other, too, and it's great that the that they got the they got Darno and Olsen are right over the beside them. Those guys are letting them be them. They're not, like, yeah. rolling their eyes or going, hey, you kids shut the hell up, man. They're not doing that. So these guys, are they're doing it in a way, but they're not rubbing anybody the wrong way because they're funny. I mean, they're not assholes. They're funny. You know, Grissom's yeah. a funny guy, you know? Yep. He's this good-looking kid. He's smiling all the time, and, you know, what's not to like about the guy? He's not coming in yep. being overbearing. He's not, and, and most importantly... They're playing their asses off for the team. Yep. yep. They're not doing anything to hurt the and they're team. They're helping. <laughs> they're helping. The you team know. is winning in large part because of what they're doing. Yeah. And Grissom, it's hard th- enough
1: as a young guy to come up and handle the pressure of, of the big leagues itself without pressure from your teammates.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Grissom, by the way, has hit 12 games. This kid's hitting 395 with three doubles, three homers, nine RBIs, and an 1121 OPS. He's got a 4.47 yeah. OBP in his first 12 games in the big leagues at age 21, after no experience in AAA and only like 22 games above A ball. That's not, that's ridiculous, man. Yeah. In the yeah, same year that Harris has done what he's done, and Harris, by the way, has the highest OPS in the majors in late and close situations for anybody with over 25 at bats. The highest in the majors. I was he a keeps little worried
1: that. Uh, that Houston series, I don't think he got a fastball. Yeah,
0: yeah, they they, they exploited his one, the one yep. hole slider yeah.
1: down and in. They just they just spammed that thing, just yeah. threw it over and over. I mean, I'm sure he'll adjust, but those are kind of the things that you know that'll be the next test for him, right? Because he had to
0: make an adjustment right off the bat. You noticed something right off the bat, and he made that adjustment. So yeah. we'll see. I, I've been record.
1: watching it. Watch it. was, it's funny. Cause before that series, I was watching him. I was like, Ooh, I don't know if I would ever throw this guy a fastball after he hit that 99 from the left. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm making him hit something else. And it's like the Astros were watching. Cause they just flipped him garbage the whole series.
0: And they're like number one, or, or they have been at least, uh, uh, with, you know, all the analytics metrics, everything they they were way ahead of the curve. So yeah. you got to think they're probably still right there, you know, at the top. Yeah they don't miss a thing, man. So it'll be interesting. You know, when you get to playoffs, most every team you face is going to have really sophisticated top of the line analytics and all that. So,
1: yeah. And it's like another team sees, you know, you're always watching the series before in your pitchers meetings. Yeah. So, you know, you watch, you watch the Astros do it and you're playing the Braves next that's on film and you're pitching coach zeros in on it. And sometimes teams just don't think of that. Yeah, You know, they're trying to analyze the bats they've seen, and maybe you put one good sling, swing on a slider, and they're like, okay, you can't go there. The Astros have some kind of number, and they're like, no, it's that's our best spot, just hammer it. And yeah. until you hit it, you know, so it's kind of like, that's what happened with, with Jay Hay. Once the Phillies yeah. just started pounding him up and in, yeah. it's it like then every team jumped on the bandwagon. So that, that's where the adjustment comes in is once a team does it, everybody's going to do it until you hit it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because he doesn't take walks. So he's up there hacking. So, yeah. That'll be interesting to watch, man, especially when you go to St. Louis. Yep. Got Pittsburgh and St. Louis this week. Big road trip for the Braves. They got a chance to make some hay in Pittsburgh. And then you go to St. Louis. That's going to be tough. It always is tough at Bush. And it's nut cutting time, man. We're coming down to it. Four games behind the Mets, well ahead in the wild card race. So we'll see.
1: I'm trying to think what would be more frustrating trying to catch a team that won't lose or keep winning and the team won't get off your tail.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The Braves still had the best record in the majors since June 1. Yep. But the Mets aren't far behind. No. (laughs) As far as June 1, and they were good before that. All right. We'll do this again uh, in a few days. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate it. 755 is real. We are out.